Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Joe Aslan, the executive director of the Owners Scale Up Program at IE Business School. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. So we have been in touch for a very long time, and you are one of the main thought leaders in the scale up space. So I'm really proud of having you on the show. But for the the ones who don't have the luck to, to know you yet, uh, who is Joe Aslan? Okay. Well, I guess my story goes back to the dot com time. Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, younger than I look, but uh, <laughs> I uh, we started a company. I had a very traditional background in that. Uh, you know. Born in Ireland, went to university in Ireland, then went to London, like a lot of Irish people. Uh, and then after that, went to the States. Uh, but one of the things when I came back after working in consulting was that we set up this company called Marrakesh. Uh, and we raised 75 million and scaled to 250 people. Uh, and if you think about it, like, you know, 75 million is back then was a lot of money and it's still a lot of money. Uh, and it gave me a big insight into this concept of scaling. How do you scale? Uh, and there was really no discussion of this. You have to go and think back. Back then, there wasn't even Eric Ries, Alex Osterwalder, Steve Blank. There was, right. you know, no no discussion of the difference between, say, a corporation and a fast-growing startup. So, you know, a bit like a general who always fights the previous war. Uh, I, <laughs> I was in this kind of a situation where both my parents are academics. Uh, so we were always trained to look for models and theories. And, and I was like, this is chaos. We, we don't know what we're doing from day to day. And the investor is like, every time, like every time we messed up, the investors would say, oh, would kind of, oh, you just need more money, you know? And, and I was like, you know, this is like feeding a fat children more chocolate, you know? You, you have to stop doing this. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, now the company, you know, was sort of eventually sold. And, and uh, but it was a question of, of having that experience. Uh, and then as, you know, Steve and, and Eric and, and Alex kind of came into it, there was a lot of work done in the startup, you know, this idea of that uh, phrase, you know, very well, that a startup is nothing more than a search for a temporary organization searching for a business model. Uh, and that's been in, enormously helpful and enormously useful. Uh, but then where's the model for scale up? You know, that's the sort of the next thing. Uh, and, you know, as, as uh, you know, we haven't really got a model yet. And I don't think we'll really ever have one because, of course, in startup, you're starting from zero. So you can start from something, whereas all product market fits are different. So it's, it's sort of hard to say, how can you go from there? So uh, when I, after we sold the company, I came and I did it, moved to Madrid and I did an MBA and they started asking me to teach. I guess if you're growing up with a crowd of universities, we, we talk in the house like every day is a school day and when your parents are professors. So it was not uh, very familiar in those circumstances they asked me to teach. Uh, and I found myself having a lot of one-to-one -one conversations with scale-up entrepreneurs uh, who knew about my experience and they were asking me, uh, you know, sort of what should we be doing? So I sort of went to IE and I said, look, we should run a scale-up program. And they didn't really know what a scale-up right, program right, was yeah. uh, or, or, or like, but I don't know. I, I think I kind of, um, you know, I don't know. They, they, I did it. Sometimes you do something with so much enthusiasm. They don't really know what you're talking about, especially yes. in, in my Spanish. Uh, they were like, well, you know what it is, but okay, let him do it. So, and, and then um, it has been, you know, they, I guess I are always attracted to, being one of the first people to do this. So we've been running this now since, since uh, you know, 2013. So it's like seven iterations and each iteration we get better. You know, we take out things that aren't working uh, and we, 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 I've really sort of decided, okay, these are the things you need to know. 
I have this sort of phrase, which is, it, it comes from the Peter Thiel book, Zero to One, where you know, he talks, he, he says that, you know, scale-ups are like an inverse Tolstoy. Tolstoy is famous for saying that, you know, all families are, are happy for the same reason, all unhappy families are for different reasons. And he says it's the opposite in scale-ups, uh, although he doesn't use the word, he says fast-growing company. And what that means is that, you know, uh, companies are successful, uh, all companies are unsuccessful, for the same reasons. I mean, that's the key word, but all companies are, are, are successful for different reasons. So my philosophy on all this is don't make mistakes. And that then gives you space to kind of find what it is you need to find. But if you find mistakes, it's like beginning from underwater or beginning from sort of having something that holds you back. So my kind of, I guess my, my what we do for you in the owner scale up program is we, we tell you, okay, these are the problems you will face and all, all scale-up entrepreneurs face them. And these are the common mistakes that people do. And if you don't <laughs> do these things, that gives you a chance. And I right. think that that is kind of all you need. I think that that adds a lot of value and it's something that I wish I, I knew myself. That's amazing. There is something that I also love about your experience is your combination of professor, operator, entrepreneur. Uh, so how do you keep everything uh, going forward uh, with so many ads? I, t I tell a lot of lies, Mike, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I tell a lot of lies, uh, you know, investors, are you full time on this project? You know, yes. Uh, those kinds of things. Uh, but you know, you listen, it's, uh, everything kind of gets done somehow, but you know, what's the Mario Andretti thing about saying, you know, if you're, if you, if you have the car under control, you're not going fast enough, you know? Right. And, uh, I, I, you know, listen, I've let people down. Of course I have, and I never feel good about it. Uh, but, you know, that's, uh, you, you, you just have to kind of, you know, if you're called to this thing, this is like a calling. If you have a calling to be relevant, if you have a calling to achieve, uh, you know, you, you can't do anything about it. And I actually think that the teaching is the one discipline uh, of that I have that because I know when I have classes or I have courses or I'm on a, a book tour or something that I, you know, I have to centralize on that. Uh, and sometimes if you have too much time, uh, you know, you overcomplicate uh, things. So having classes kind of centers me. And the other thing is that having a class means you have to, uh, you know, be up to date. And the best way to learn something is to have to explain it to somebody else. So when mm -hmm. I come across uh, when I come across and I have to walk in and I explain the theories of scale up and, and explain why companies succeeded and why they didn't, I have to kind of, you know, research, make sure I'm up to date uh, and all of those kind of things. And, and uh, you know, MBA students uh, are quite critical. You know, they're paying a lot of money and they, 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 they expect the best. So I think that's what the classes do for me. They, they force me to remain relevant and up to date. Uh, and uh, and it also is a credibility factor, you know, for the people who are in the class who want to scale. They're like, you know, sometimes they are, um, you know, like sometimes you say, listen, by the way, I have a, com a company that actually co would be competing with you, you know, and that then kind of <laughs> makes them take you a bit more seriously. So, um, yeah, balls get dropped. Of course, balls get dropped. Um, but I think it's a very good mix of, of, of having to explain things to people, make sure you're up to date. And it also has a, a credibility factor, uh, which, which is extremely useful. As I said before, and, and closing this segment of getting to know more about Joe Haslam, 
um, that you are a, a great fan and, and a, a very important uh, actor in the scale-up movement uh, across the world. Um, if I'm not wrong, and I'm making a huge risk here, you have also <laughs> been expanding the scale-up program to another geographies. I think that's in Middle East, for instance. Uh, how is it going? So how is it uh, you expanding the, the scale-up movement with IE uh, Business School outside of uh, Madrid? Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, the, what's going on in the Middle East is very interesting. And of course, the Middle East is very complex. You know, you have issues in Lebanon and then you have issues in yeah. Saudi and you have issues in Kuwait and, and you have issues in, in even in North Africa, uh, Egypt and Tunisia. And, um, you know, but they are all trying to get away from hydrocarbons. So, I mean, the, the issue in many cases is that you've wonderfully educated people. You know, you have people who have PhDs in artificial intelligence, uh, but, you know, there's no, the government doesn't get any value for that. You know, what's the famous Dutch disease or the Dutch curse, which is that when you have a resource intensive um, company, you, you don't really have uh, any kind of indigenous industry. So, uh, I mean, a great example would be Kareem, for instance, in, in, in Saudi and, and, and I guess right. so Dubai, Saudi. Uh, but, you know, they have those kinds of companies and they also have a lot of SMEs, you know, uh, burger bars, coffee bars, uh, even like Lyft importers and things like that. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things about Saudi uh, is that they they employed a lot of consultants, you know, and I won't mention the names, but I'm sure you know exactly who I'm <laughs> talking about. And, and those guys uh, perhaps weren't entrepreneurs themselves. So, you know, while they spoke a very good game and uh, what they like about uh, what they like about me, I guess, and other professors in IE, because this is very much the model in IE. I don't know any of all the professors I work in all are very active outside and, um, you know, that that we have we can connect with entrepreneurs in, in perhaps a way that the big money consultants uh, can't do. And that's why I spend a lot of time over there, actually. And uh, it's it's a really interesting place because, of course, um, you know, the Arabic culture is is not actually unlike the Spanish and the Portuguese culture is that you have to spend time with people. You know, that's what they you have to sit with them. You have to drink tea. You have to get to know them, you know, the, even more oh, than in Iberia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think, Mike, that's where it comes from. You know, if we're honest, I always say that the, the Moors were in Iberia for 800 years. The Christians have only been there for 500 years. So, you know, the, it's Iberia is still a very much, a, you know, a lot of culture comes from. Uh, the Islamic culture, and, and you find exactly. a lot of things uh, that are in common. But I feel very comfortable over there. Um, you know, when people, um, once people get to know you, it's a tremendous honor. Uh, and, uh, you know, they also, this, they, you know, they dislike the image people have of them, you know, and they say, look, the royal family, uh, take Saudi, for instance, a guy said to me, look, the royal family in Saudi means as much to me as the royal family in Spain means to you. You know, there are people I see on television. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was sort of, they, they dislike the fact that, you know, people see them in, in a certain way. And, and you know, they, they like a joke. You know, they like to talk about football. They, they like to talk about horses, uh, you know, these kind of things. And they like to, you know, share pictures of their kids. And, you know, they, it's very much, uh, you know, people are people. And, and, uh, and I find, you know, just, just I, I love the fact that I, I come from a very small village in a very small country where, where, you know, we would hear about these places like in encyclopedias. And I just find it an honor and a privilege to be invited totally. to these countries and, and to have people uh, show me 
you know, they're these cultures that I could only have dreamed of. And that's why, you know, I spend about 20 weeks a year traveling because I just can't say no for an opportunity to, to really get to know a country. That's amazing. And just uh, as a, a question of understanding for the community, I'm Portuguese, uh, based in Barcelona. Joe is based in Madrid. That's why we are talking about Liberia. And uh, to, nowadays, I'm in the countryside of Portugal during lockdown and uh, quarantine uh, periods. Can't wait to also get back, enjoying a lot of the time in Portugal, but to come back to Barcelona. And, and as you said, also to, to, to be able to meet our clients in person uh, all over uh, the world and get back to, to travel. So we always discuss three critical ingredients uh, to scale on the show. Number one, radical focus. Number two, world-class leadership. And number three, cultural execution. As you know, I always invite our guests to uh, challenge those concepts, and I love the ones that <laughs> tell me that this is completely wrong. That, that, that's the kind of uh, conversation that I love. And uh, starting with number one, radical focus, we are now living very special times, and everything that we have uh, prepared and planned during uh, early 2020 dramatically changed over the last uh, weeks. We are recording this episode on 1st of May, so people get context when we are uh, talking about this topic. But how are you helping uh, your entrepreneurs and yourself and your students to be prepared to reprioritize for, for the new environment in such unpredictable uh, context? Yeah, I mean, you know, my students, again, about half my time is, is, is teaching, about half my time is with companies. I'm on the boards yeah. of, of four companies, two as a co-founder and, and two uh, as, as a board member. And, and it's every one of them is different. Uh, and I guess, you know, the, the phrase that we use about this is that, you know, change, what COVID is doing is accelerating changes that were already in motion. I mean, I'm not the only person saying that, and it's very true. Uh, it's true in terms of our teaching, whereby we were doing a lot of stuff online, but we're doing even more stuff online. And it's true also uh, just in terms of companies and their people, uh, which is to say that like they are looking for a higher quality of person, a lot of companies now, and they're also looking to, so one of my companies, for instance, does psychometric testing to kind of work out how people are going to perform under pressure. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that they want this is, you're able to do this online. Uh, so companies are moving away from, you know, a lot of, big companies like law firms and accounting firms would have like a training center where everyone would go and they would, you know, when that's kind of, they can't really do that anymore, or at least it's at risk. So, you know, one of my companies has a, literally an online training tool that will say how Mike will perform under pressure, uh, whether Mike will, will, you know, take the easy way out and cut corners or whether he, you know, those kind of right. things. So literally we had a multi-million dollar contract signed you know, the person knew that we had something that was valuable uh, and, you know, wanted to be the first person to get this. So, you know, that's sort of accelerated that change. Uh, you know, some other businesses I've had that are in tourism, uh, you know, it's been really difficult. And, and literally the only thing you can do is, is hibernate. I said, look, just, you know, cut everything down back to like, just, you know, don't turn off the lights. Uh, I say it's like going to bed at night. You leave one light on in the hallway, but you know, shut down every <laughs> shut down everything else. Great uh, and uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. And, and that this will come again. But uh, I, I, the the thing I guess we're worried about uh, is you know, and this one politics is like the influence of government. You know, you can kind of compete in in, in capitalism under competition, but there's going to be very 
distorted competition. You know, literally governments are going to be paying people. You know, I saw the government of, of Sicily are going to literally pay people to go on holidays in Sicily, you know, if you're prepared to do it, to try and get the volume up. So it's going to be extremely difficult uh, to compete when you literally have the government, you know, the, the economics phrase is crowding out. So the government are going to be crowding out a lot of things. So that was kind of, you know, what we have decided, which is to sort of like literally hibernate. Uh, and and just be ready again for for when the the, the situation restores uh, into equilibrium. Uh, the other thing that's been really fascinating um, is just the engagement of my students because you know the world they are going back to is not the world they left. And uh, while I don't like to use the word complacency, there was a sense of you know we get to the end, we get the MBA, and you know. But now they realise that you know it's not so much about the MBA, the piece of paper, the credential. It's about the specific skills they have. So communication, critical thinking, and working in teams have become extremely important. And those are what they're selling to employers uh, rather than, you know, sort of kind of things they would have learned in the MBA. So that's a really interesting thing. And the companies they're picking, you know, I, I talk extensively about all the great companies that were formed in 2008, Uber, Pinterest, you know, Airbnb, all of these companies. Uh, and one big change now is that we are all talking about employment, you know, what decisions to be made after you graduate. Uh, and we're kind of, I'm really encouraging um, to look not just in terms of the short term, but just in terms of you know getting into industries that will be big in ten years, and that ties. I mean, the, the funny thing, Mike, is that like uh, I've been talking about exponentiality like for years, and nobody really understood what I was talking right. about. Mm -hmm. You know, this is like the idea of slowly, slowly, all at once. You know, the idea that you sort of like you position yourself in perhaps something that isn't that dramatic, but over time that accepts. So everyone now understands exponentiality. So, Absolutely. you know, it, it's, that's one of the, I mean, uh, one of the good things that's come from this. So I'm talking about people yeah. in terms of like what industry you want to work in uh, in 10 years and, and then what you want to join now. So it's everything from genomics uh, to, you know, these kind of areas that are, are interesting. So the engagement in my students has, has, is off the charts, you know, because they are like, okay, this guy knows a bit about something and we have a chance uh, to sort of uh, engage with him. And there, it wasn't a case of just getting to the end, doing the exam and getting the paper. So, it, you know, it's really, it's, uh, it's really exciting. Every day is really exciting on that basis. That's amazing. And uh, just talking about that, we also had on the show William Kilmer, the managing partner of uh, C5 Capital, who has been also managing partner of Intel Capital. And we talk exactly about those industries, namely cybersecurity, which would be uh, even a bigger industry in 10 years' time and uh, where you can really make a difference and start building the future. I, I love it. And coming to the next uh, ingredient, the world class. Uh, leadership. We have been talking a lot about the article of Ben Orovitz on wartime CEO and uh, peacetime yeah. CEO. Uh, the common conclusion on the show is that we need to have peacetime and wartime uh, teams simultaneously uh, in the same uh, scope of team and we need to adopt different leadership styles according to the moment that, that we are in. So how do you help uh, your, your companies, your teams, your leaders, uh, your students to be prepared to adopt their leadership styles and, and to have the tools to navigate uh, in wartime. Yeah, I mean, Ben is obviously a great person, both the hard thing about hard things and also his latest book on culture is, is absolutely uh, fantastic, you know, and I, I, while 
there's not all books that come out of Silicon Valley I recommend. Uh, you know, Blitzscaling, for instance, is one that I both agree with and, and disagree with. Uh, I think Ben, ben is, is absolutely uh, fantastic. And, um, you know, how do you, I mean, you know, I have a sort of, I speak to about, I mean, a lot of what I do, although I do the word coaching and mentoring are words I've sort of traditionally been uncomfortable with. I mean, just the reality of what I do, you know, it's a bit like the mafia. The mafia never say like I'm 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 in the mafia. They say it's like our thing, our our cosa nostra. So I sort of say that like coaching is like our thing. It's that like thing we do uh, rather than using the word. Correct. Uh, but but it's very much um, you know, very much uh, keeping people centered. I mean, emotionally, uh, it's extremely difficult to be a CEO. I mean, the first thing is like you know, the, just the weight of of, of of, you know, so many people depend on you and what you do, and that's accelerated um, in the uh, in this process because you know a lot of people have to cut down, and a lot of companies are expecting like that the axe is coming kind of thing. So uh, you know you're you're trying to walk people through that. So you know that's kind of the first thing that that you're sort of saying, which is to say like holding up emotionally and 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 you know being strong for other people. Uh, and, uh, you know, just talking about decisions and, and, and those kind of things helps. And just the idea of having one person in your life that you can be absolutely truthful. Uh, you know, I love my wife and she's wonderful, uh, but am I 100% truthful with her when she asks me, like, you know, did I get bread on the way home or something like that? You know, I, I, you know there are times when you have to sort of like have to kind of, uh, but um, the, the CEOs I talk to, uh, we do there's a hundred they can tell me anything and that helps them psychologically a lot because the same with investors even your co-founders sometimes you can't completely confide in them so just having one kind of person that they can secretly confide in i mean that's kind of the big role sort of emotional support the other thing and this is ben's i mean if ben's book is about courage. I mean, that's the word he uses, right? That's the thing. Lots of people are capable, but not everyone has the courage. So uh, what I'm doing a lot of is just to, you know, give people the courage to go out and do stuff. Uh, and that's, you know, it's the same actually with them. Um, you know, a lot of, of professors I teach with who are very nervous about the online environment. Uh, and I say, listen, uh, you know, a lot of things haven't changed. You know, it's just yeah. you're talking to a screen rather than talking to a class. But, you know, all of the things that made you a great professor before, those haven't changed. And, and, and you know, Jeff Bezos is the big thing about uh, Amazon is, is it's like we focus on the things that don't change rather than the things that do change. You know, he said in 10 years time, will people like low prices? Yes, they will. Uh, and he said that's always been his focus. And I say that okay. to professors and I say that to scale up CEO, focus on the things that won't change uh, and, and rather than worried about the things that are changing. Uh, and I don't know whether, um, you know, you look at football managers and stuff like that. Some football managers, you know, they, there's no mystery to it. All they do is, is kind of look into your eyes and say, listen, I believe in you. You are wonderful. You can do this. Uh, and this won't work. The big thing is that when you work with people who are capable and ambitious, sometimes that's all you need to do. Like it's a different thing when you're when people who, who perhaps aren't capable and ambitious to try and motivate those people is much more complicated. But the amount of imposter syndrome that is around, and I know people uh, who've been on your podcast before and because I, I know them personally, and, and they are like, 
behind the scenes doubt themselves despite all their wonderful achievements. <laughs> and, and all they need to do is have somebody to say, look, you know, do you know how much respect people have for you? Do you know how much people want to be you? You know, and, and sometimes the only role I play, uh, you know, is that, which is to say, you know, everything you do is wonderful and, and to encourage them to go the next step. And, um, you know, one of the things about coming from Ireland is, you know, we're a small country and, and that's, we, we doubt ourselves. I, you know, even Portugal is a bigger country uh, than Ireland. You know, I have a good Portuguese friend and he talks about, you know, I think the word is gara, meaning a kind of a hawk, you know, this sort of idea of people who just aren't afraid to say, you know, the Cristiano Ronaldo's, the whole Jose Mourinho's, right. you know, like they are not afraid to, to be the best, you know, yeah. and uh, some sometimes you know you and i i actually thinking about it now i know a lot of people in portugal similar kind of a thing you know that they are they are wonderful and they they still doubt themselves and and what they need yeah. is for somebody to encourage them and say listen you know you are widely respected you have achieved something that very few people could have achieved and and Absolutely. and you know you you need to continue and be even more and, you know, some people may say like, and people pay you like, you know, X amount of money an hour just to tell them that. And I say, yeah, and that's what they need to hear. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the value I add. That's, that's amazing. I, I love it. It's, it's a very good point. And coming to the ingredient number three, culture of execution, as you were saying and giving an example of uh, EdTech and uh, having professors adapting to the online, uh, so nowadays, this culture of execution, this working from home culture, working from home environment. Um, so what, what, what are some of the rhythms that are working the best? So we are, we are all working about doing the weeklies, the dailies, the monthlies, the quarterlies, the one-on-ones, the all-ends. Uh, even I, I, I'm a huge fan of middle management forums. Um, so regular communication nowadays. So what do you recommend in terms of rhythms to keep strengthening the culture and adapting, assuring that everyone is safe uh, emotionally and uh, in, in the new uh, working from home environment. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're getting into these kind of you know, good habits and stuff like that. And you know, right. there's lots of information about that and, and they are true. It's, you know, it's one of the things, people talk about why older entrepreneurs are more successful. And, and as we know, the research tells us that the best age to start a company is 45. Uh, and uh, you know, this is a, a kind of a thing. They don't put 45-year-old pe people on magazine covers because you know, they like young people. But like, one <laughs> of the things is that older people have more habits. You you know, it's, it's a bit like the hair and the tortoise, you know, slowly, slowly gets what you're doing. So um, you just, as you get older, you, you, you know, you have to have more structure in your life because you have kids and, and, and these kinds of things. Uh, so, you know, I was talking to a guy yesterday who was sold to million, he, you know, he has, he sold a company for, and he has $3 million in the bank and he still gets up at six o'clock in the morning because, and that's oddly what made him successful. You know, he talks about those golden hours uh, and, and the importance of them. Um, I tend to think that the big thing is doing less things, but each thing is better. You know, like that's, and even Obama talked about that in his Vanity Fair interview with Michael Lewis. He says that if you're making, if the decisions you make are really important, uh, that you need to kind of make fewer of them. So, you know, that's the big thing. And, and 
there's also this big thing about scaling that I'm, I'm sure you know, which is to say that scaling is very often about, you know, working on harder problems that are hard, but if you succeed, will be make you successful. And, and the great thing about harder, the, the, the secret of, is that it's really great to attract good people to work on hard problems. You know, if you, you know, the best people are often very vain. And if you attract them to make them to come work for your company, you have to give them a hard, challenging problem, you know, and that's a sort of an interesting thing. So I often talk about, you know, working on less things um, but but working deeply, and then you're into this whole Cal Newport idea of deep work, uh, and you're also into even you know this idea of moments. That success is all about moments, about being brilliant for a moment, rather than you know the industrial thing of like five days a week, eight hours a day. You know, you you actually you know in a day you structure, which is to say like okay, I have uh, you know podcast with Mike at three o'clock, like that's the most important thing. Uh, I'm doing today. So I'm going to have my, the kind of what I'm going to have for my breakfast is relevant to that. What I'm going to have for my dinner is relevant to that. What work I'm going to work on before that. You know, I purposely haven't, you know, gone into right. anything deeply this morning because I'm keeping my brain fresh for you. I purposely, you know, haven't had a heavy breakfast in case I'd be sluggish. So, you know, this idea of like, what's the most important thing you're doing today? and how you center everything else around that. Uh, and I think that's a sort of a, so when someone says it, it's obvious, but again, you find, uh, you know, unless you have a coach or you have somebody who's sort of saying this to you, uh, it's easy to just to be over responsive and it's easy to try and, and, and you know, think you can do everything. Um, the best people, and again, you know, using football metaphors, like the best footballers in the world are paid because in the key moment, like in the, in the last 10 minutes of a really important game, right. they have the ability to perform. And it actually doesn't matter what they do. The time that the team needs them, the time that they are, the reason they are paid is that in the really important point, they have a thing that, you know, 0.0001% of people can do. Because for most of us, to perform under extreme pressure is, is just impossible. And it's the same thing with the scale-up you know, you have to kind of simplify what you do because there are some things that you do that are really, really important and a credibility that you transmit, whether it's to investors or, or big, you know, sales you're trying to make or hires you're trying to make. Uh, and, and that's the thing you have uh, that's valuable. And then you need to kind of, you know, own that and continually uh, make that performance, continually make the investors be impressed, continually make your good hires be impressed. Uh, and that's the, that's the thing you know, I, I, I keep stressing with all of the people I work with. That's definitely the Olympic Games uh, of business, as I like to call it. And yeah. we come to the last question of the show. And as you know, uh, our favorite, which is if you'd have the opportunity to meet Joe seven years ago or in 2013, <laughs> when you started the owner scale program at IE uh, Business School, uh, what advice would you offer to to Joe at that time? Well, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I think the the, the interesting point is 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 to not be af you know not be afraid to fail, uh, which is to say that I had a lot of intuition about the way I wanted to set up the program. In other words, we would have very little accounting and legal, and much more about the soft skills, uh, and that's kind of you know. And our program, you learn more 
from the other people in the class as much as you do from the professors. And that was sort of my intuition, but it kind of took me two or three iterations before uh, I was, so I now come in and I say on day one, this is what I think you need to know. And I have the courage of my convictions when perhaps when I was starting off, I sort of hid behind, well, it's business school, so we have to have accounting and we have to have strategy and we have to have all of these things. Whereas now I realize, look, pricing, uh, you know, um, functional, cross-functional teams, uh, you know, critical thinking. So I've isolated and picked where I think people are repeatedly going wrong. And I have the, and when a lot of people see what we cover, they're like, why are you doing that? Like social innovation, family business. And I'm like, well, 90% of business is family business. You know, the first question you should ask when you're dealing with anyone is, is it a family business? Because if it is a family business, it, it, it behaves in a different way. So, you know, a lot of the things that I, I had kind of my intuition, I didn't in the initial years have the, the, you know, the, the courage to sort of say, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, and now, you know, I, I, I come people and say, listen, you probably look at, at what we're going to cover in this week and think, why aren't we covering you know, uh, like how to pitch or something like that. And like, because that's not what you need to know. Like these are the really important things that I see over 250 scale-ups that I've studied. These are the, the mistakes I see. Uh, and this is kind of my vision. And I'm going, we're going to succeed or this course succeeds and fails on, on what I believe you need to know. So I think that's, that's what has changed. That's amazing. Joel, thanks so much for making the time to share your experience with us. And you are always uh, welcome to the show to keep sharing your, your legacy in, in building the scale-up movement uh, across the world. Thanks again for joining us. Okay, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mike, and continue doing what you're doing. It's wonderful uh, information, and uh, you know, I, I, I can't encourage you. Uh, I just have to encourage you to keep going because you do a wonderful job. Thank you very much, Joe. Likewise, thanks so much for the job you do. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best, the best tools, the best practices, the best frameworks, so you can thrive during COVID-19 crisis and after COVID-19 crisis, ever staying healthy and keep scaling. See you soon.